0: remember when it used to be news when a former president was indicted now it's here we are it's just another day that ends with a why and another presidential indictment oh, my goodness <laughs> we'll comment on that a little bit later but uh i first have to tell you why i really cannot stand uh doug mcintyre uh many of you are the no line doubt, forms to the left <laughs> by the way Many of you are no doubt familiar with Doug McIntyre, and uh, I've known Doug a long time, having been a uh, radio talk show producer before I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to host this program, and I thought, oh, Doug's kind of an interesting guy. He's a smart guy. I didn't really know much about him. I'd hear him before or after shows that I was producing. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. It's a unique take on this, unique take on that. And then... When he started doing overnights, this time slot that I'm doing now, first in New York and then nationally, I was working early mornings, and I have to tell you, I didn't think there was anything that would get me to waking up even earlier than I had to at 3 or 3.30 in the morning. But this show, which was called Red Eye Radio, not to be confused with the show that's called Red Eye Radio now, was so interesting, so engaging, so compelling, that uh, it really was an incredible start to my day and really helped me in terms of stealing content for the shows that I was producing at the time. So why would I dislike someone who's such a radio talent? Because then I come to find... That This fella is not just good on the radio, he is really a modern day renaissance man. He was an incredibly accomplished uh, writer, a screenwriter, and a columnist for some of the biggest newspapers in California. Then becomes a successful documentary filmmaker, and now has written an absolutely terrific novel. And all I'm thinking is, it's all I can do to sound semi-coherent for four hours a day. This guy's making... Making it look effortless. I mean, talking to Doug McIntyre uh, is a lot like Peter Griffin speaking to Life cereal. Yeah, Life cereal. Where do you get off? Part of a balanced breakfast and delicious? Who do you think you are? By now, you may have guessed I'm speaking ironically and have nothing but good things to say about what you do. Life cereal, do not change a thing. Signed, Peter Griffin, dictated but not read. Lois, read that back to me. Sure sure enough, uh, Doug McIntyre, a fellow that has been an absolute star when it comes to the spoken word, when it comes to the written word, and when it comes to uh, live events, has now written a new novel called Frank's Shadow, which we're going to talk about and And even more exciting, uh, we are joined in studio as well by actress, writer, filmmaker, and someone that also has the dubious distinction of being Doug's wife, (laughs) Penny Pizer. Penny, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm I'm just so happy to be upright and speaking at this hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you guys are West
2: Coasters. This should be this should be early for you.
1: That's true. That's true. That's yeah. True. But we've right. been
2: on the East Coast for a week, so oh, so you kind of acclimated. adjusted. So now, but but of course, these are my natural hours, Frank.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, I, I we are the night people. That, that that we are we are the few, but the proud. Actually, not so few. <laughs> not There's so more, few more anymore. And more of us. Hey, Doug. I think uh, a lot of the I, I still hear from people all the time that uh, miss hearing you in that time slot, which is a great thing to hear when you meet a listener. Hey, you know, I listen yeah. to you once in a while. I really miss that Doug McIntyre yeah, when he like, was on in your not, time not slot. Not quite
2: a ringing endorsement.
0: Why uh, you um, then were doing mornings on KBC in Los Angeles uh, when you decided to uh, retire from radio. We've talked about this a little bit before. Why did you make the decision to retire from radio?
2: Well, I think there's a time to go away. <laughs> I think there's a time after 25 years I felt like I've said everything that could I could think of to say And the, and frankly, the book had a lot to do with it because this book was high on my bucket list and I had started it 25 years ago. And then I wrote myself into a dead end and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to finish the book. And then about six years ago, the light bulb went off and I said, ah, that's what I need to do. And I felt I have to do it now while I still, you know, I'm not drooling on myself. Uh, so I thought, and plus I just felt like, the tenor of the political climate had gotten so nasty mm. and we're seeing it play out. I mean, as you oh, yeah. exa- correctly said, Penny and I were watching <laughs> the Lester Holt program a couple of weeks ago when the rumors of this Georgia indictment were coming out and they gave it like four minutes and then went on to weather stories. Right. Said, well, right. the, the weather's a little more he's unpredictable. being indicted yeah. for the fourth time. And it's like, Hey, another news, by the way, the Mets dropped a double header to right. the Braves. I mean, but, you know, it's like, so, so it just got to the point where I felt like I only have X number of days left on this planet, and I felt like there were other things that I wanted, to, other boxes I wanted to check. But you know, just recently, for the after four and a half years, I started. I got a call from KFI in Los Angeles, and they asked me to do some fill-in work, so I started doing that. Uh, and I might do that because it was kind of fun to to not actually have to get up every day, as you know, working oh, yeah. these hours. To not work these hours is a blessing. How did you find that? Uh, was it like riding a bike? Uh, you hadn't missed a beat? I or? was very nervous. I was as nervous going in there as after four and a half years of not uh, being on the air. I was as nervous as I was the first time going to KBC when I pulled over into a 7-Eleven parking lot and said a Hail Mary that I not screw up my opportunity.
0: Well, I I, uh, I didn't get to hear the program, but uh, I am hoping I could g- get a podcast because uh, the radio, talk radio in general, could use a, more, a few more Doug McIntyres. And your point about sort of the the overall vitriol of the political climate these days, it's one of the – and obviously I'm very interested in politics and I, I follow it pretty closely. But I really do whatever I can to avoid discussing it because people get so Angry, and it's not enough that they might disagree with you on something; it, they have to attack you. There's no desire to oh, no, it's, uh, to it's, learn. There's no desire to discuss. There's no desire to no. teach. There's just a desire
2: to to go after the other no, person. It's it's totally seek and destroy. It really is. It's a and, and it's a shame, but this is the uh, pure, uh, you know I I worry about it gravely. I worry about this gravely because it's like we're doing talk radio in 1859, 1860. Mm-hmm. Except then the lines were clearer because there was a clear geographic break between the north and the south, between the Mason-Dixon line and the slave and the free states. Whereas here it's across the Thanksgiving dinner table; it's within families, that, and there have been terrible schisms within families over this left-right divide. And uh, and and you know it, it, we went from uh, disagreeing to the with the loyal opposition to considering the other side, whichever side you and radio land decide is the other side they're not just wrong but they're evil and one of the things that I i don't know how you guys
0: consider your own politics, but one of the things as a listener that I always liked about you is that you didn't necessarily march to a predictable beat. You know, on uh, an issue like uh, immigration, you might be, um, you know, pretty conservative. But then uh, on other issues, you might be pretty liberal. But really, it was not necessarily always political. It would be about uh, books, movies, uh, you know, telling interesting stories about what you were doing. Uh, and I really think that one of the things that I see in talk radio these days is that let's say you're a Trump supporter and you deviate one centimeter yeah. from whatever the orthodoxy of Trumpism happens to be. Let's say you dare to say that Joe Biden actually got elected. Forget about it. You're a pariah in yeah, your own community. I, I,
2: absolutely. Well, look, we've seen we've seen people who voted for candidates for decades. Uh, and, and that candidate then uh, said one thing that straight off of that day's Talking points and they were excommunicated. Uh, Then they're rhinos. They're fake Republicans. Right. And the
0: same thing goes on the Democratic side as well.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, Absolutely. So you mentioned you were working on this book, Frank's Shadow, for about six years. Why write a novel? Uh, You're clearly very experienced when it comes to writing, both uh, in the columns and on television. And I'm sure you put a lot of effort into writing the things that you were delivering on radio.
2: Why a novel? W- what was it about the novel format that appealed to you? Well, first and foremost, I think that the novel is the highest form of writing to create a long-form story with characters that are compelling, hopefully, uh, and that pays off at the end. So as a as a lifelong as a person who's written professionally for forty plus years, uh, it was sort of Mount Everest you wanted to take a shot at it. And the other thing is, um, uh, I, it's an original story. It's like it's like I, I, it's something that I wanted to leave behind. Most of the work that I do, if you're you know on my radio show, I was talking about things in the news, right, news of a, the day. It was a it was a tale. Somebody else's tail was wagging. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this case, it's a story that's wholly my invention. And I feel like it leaves a piece of me when I'm long gone. I mean, I, th- this is a window into how uh, un- big a nerd I am. I remember many years ago reading, for, I picked it up at 50 cents at a yard sale, a book called A Brief History of Norway. Mm. I have no idea why. I'm not Norwegian. And the book was published in the 50s. And at one point, I'm thumbing through this. And by the way, I was profoundly unemployed at the time I was doing this. But I'm reading A Brief History of Norway, and it occurred to me, I may in fact be the only person on the planet who's reading this book right now. (laughs) Uh, But that was the beauty of it. You know, the thing is you you write a book and even if it ends up on you know at a yard sale table, somebody could stumble on it, you know, fifty years from now, and that's good enough. I mean that's that 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 that's fine. I mean we feel the same way about you know, now with YouTube, everything you do is forever. That's that's one of the big changes because you know, I worked on Full House and I promise you, you know, when we were working on Full House in 1989, 1990, nobody thought that people would still be fans of that show. And it's found that like a second and a third generation of fans. So everything and, you know, Penny's career, she just did a, uh, you know, the TCM, the Turner Classic right. Movie Festival in Los in Los Angeles uh, on The In-Laws, uh, which came out, what, 70? 70, 79. 79. And huge crowds of people laughing their asses off, you know. So, 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 you know, some things carry on, and it's you're hoping this book will be. Your ticket to you know immortality, immortality, right? I mean, listen. Here's the thing: I know that my ticket is not punched for immortality. (laughs) Uh, Penny Pizer, in uh, in addition to uh,
0: being married to Doug, you have had a lengthy career as as an actress, which is a difficult field to have any sort of longevity in. And uh, you're you're from out this way as well, Uh, right? You're from the New York area, Irvington, New York. And uh, you're the daughter of the mayor of Irvington. Right? Yes, the
1: mayor, who later became the congressman. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a political family.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to... Th- what um, attracted you to the field of acting to begin with?
1: Uh, well, aside from being a natural ham bone, I think uh, my my parents exposed us to um, musical theater very early, and my, my parents loved music, and they, they loved theater, and I think that... I think it just kind of rubbed off and my dad took me to see uh the original cast of My Fair Lady when I was 6 years old and skipped a day of school and saw Julie Andrews and Rex Harrison and decided that day, I, well, I want to do that.
0: So it was Julie Andrews that yeah, got to you. Yeah, Julie Andrews. Uh, you, you know, um, we, we mentioned things happening 50 years in the past. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the Watergate resignation. Mm-hmm. One of the great mm-hmm. films about uh, the media coverage of Watergate is All the President's Men and everybody knows Dustin Hoffman's in that and Robert Redford's in it. You're actually in I'm it. I'm
1: actually in As it. Uh, Sharon Lyons, right? That's is right. A character, Sh- Sharon Lions, yes. And
0: um, And I had read that there was some sort of uh, controversy, maybe controversy is a little too strong a word, of Robert Redford not wanting to put you in the film because you were the daughter of a politician. Is that true?
1: That is true. Um, I, had, I had this very nerve wracking, but obviously productive audition with Dustin Hoffman and Alan Pakula, uh, which is the kind of thing that would these days for a part that small, you would never be reading with the movie star you would never you, you you would be all on tape and they would just look at your headshots and go oh her or her anyway so I had had my audition and I was getting ready to go back uh, to the to my off-Broadway gig and someone tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around I said oh Penny meet uh meet Bob Redford and I was like okay hi Bob <laughs> and I shook his hand and he said oh what a firm handshake and Alan who had already kind of heard my background said oh well you know dad's a congressman, so you know, real firm handshake, and and he, you know, Redford nodded, and we said goodbye, and I walked away, and I heard later that as soon as I walked out of earshot, he turned to the casting director and said, "I don't like her," and she goes, "What? Why? would they You know, she just read for uh, Alan and Dustin, and they think she's perfect." And he goes, "She's not an actress. She's a congressman's daughter," and and they were like, "No, no." Oh, she's starring in an off-Broadway show. I mean, yes, he, she's a congressman's daughter, she's, but she is an actress. And anyway, they thankfully talked him down for that. He was worried. He wanted to protect the integrity of his film, and he was just worried that somebody connected to politics sure, was right. going to, you know, and, and that was going to kind of dirty the whole right, thing. Sneak
0: in some crypto-fascist political agenda. Yeah,
1: right. exactly. But fortunately, uh, he was talked out of How that. How
0: often do you guys get to the movies these days?
1: Not not a lot. We, we just saw Barbie. We did, did you see okay. Barbie? Uh, we
0: went to see Barbie. Worst movie of all time or
2: the greatest? Those seem to be the I two choices. I enjoyed it a
1: little more than uh, my husband here, but he uh, liked I, it. I didn't. I didn't hate it.
2: I didn't. I didn't love it or hate it. I, I thought that it was the opening. I loved sort of opening. The, spoiler dynamite. alert! Was a have you know, seen sp- it yet? No, no. Uh,
0: I, okay. It's been opening, a while. The opening is spoil. really.
2: I'm not going to spoil it. The opening is really entertaining and it's visually interesting. Uh, I don't think that the this sort of feminist ideology that people are all bent out of shape about. I think it's, I I don't think it's going to have a long shelf life. I could be wrong about that but it's a i thought it was a fun movie i thought it was a fun movie any thoughts at all penny on the the sag
0: after strike i mean uh, people are saying that uh, this uh, could go on for a while Then there's talk of an interim agreement and a lot of folks are concerned about the long term implications for ai and that transcends not just movies and television production but radio and things of that oh, nature oh sure
1: absolutely well uh, i'm definitely was in it's sad it's always sad uh uh, I definitely was in favor. Am in favor of uh, my union striking. It's we're really up against it right now, and the th- <laughs> things that they were offering. I mean, one of the outrageous things they actually wanted background people. They wanted to be able to, in perpetuity, own their image. In other words, you're working for a day, and they're right. gonna they're gonna take you and and scan you we'll put and put your movies fifty years Exca- from now. Exactly. Right. Exactly for a day's without pay. money. Yeah. Oh, way without money. Yeah. yeah. No, it's no, a- no. I mean, and that was just you know one of the things. Now I, it is going to go on for a while. It is ugly, and the interim agreement thing that you mentioned—that's that's, that's uh, agreements that SAG uh, and after are making with small independent companies who are signing on to the uh, the changes that our, our union wants. Uh, but that's just that's just a teeny. A teeny thing, and I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have.
0: Penny Pizer is here. Doug McIntyre is here. In a moment we're going to talk about his new book, Frank's Shadow, a novel, and uh, for those of you still looking for a beach read but concerned that you're not going to be able to finish it before summer's over, it's relatively short novel. It's a very good novel, packs a punch, but it's not exactly going to be something that you're going to have to be reading for five or six months. It's punchy. Frank's Shadow, we're going to talk about it in just a moment. Doug McIntyre is here. Penny Pizer is here. This is The Other Side of midnight if you have questions by the way we'll try and get to a few of your calls 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight i'm frank morano straight ahead
2: the other side of midnight with frank morano Other side of midnight with Frank Marano.
1: Someday, when I'm awfully low. When the world is cold, I will feel a glow
0: just thinking
2: of
0: you and the way you look tonight. That is, of course, the great Frank Sinatra, who is uh, pretty pivotal role, a part of the new book, Frank's Shadow. Its author, Doug McIntyre, joins me in studio along with uh, Penny Pizer. And uh, Doug, when you were on the radio, especially in these hours, you would let that bumper music play for a while. And a lot of times people criticize me for letting the bumper music play for so long. Uh, what was your methodology behind that? Why'd you let it play so long?
2: Well, a couple of reasons. One, I liked it. And two, I found it to be uh a spa- uh, like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody just was screaming about abortion and, and it's like 3.20 in the morning. <laughs> right. okay. yeah. Or they're yelling about, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli. I, right. I don't have Yasser Arafat on line four, okay? <laughs> right, We're not right. solving this here tonight. So you play something that's kind of just just mellow and fun and swings. And It was my favorite part of the show. It really was. I, would, I guess it was a frustrated disc jockey, but uh, uh, who should have been a disc jockey in 1957 <laughs> or 58. But, uh but but I did find that it was the, it really was the most popular part of the show. And the best part was when I would get uh, – I would play Nora Jones and I'd get a, uh, somebody in their late 80s who wanted to know who that person was and would discover this kid singer uh, or somebody who was 22 who had never heard Nat Cole before. Mm. So you'd see that really there's only one – there's only two kinds of music, good music and bad music. And there's good music and bad music in every genre. Uh, and I think that the cream does, does have, uh, rises to the top. It has staying power, and Sinatra certainly. In fact, Penny and I, we went to Hoboken today. We went to Hoboken (laughs) to go to the Sinatra statue. Uh, down uh, down in Sinatra Park in Hoboken. So we, uh, we had a great uh, trip over on the PATH train today to visit Hoboken. So uh, let's talk about Frank's shadow. The uh, central
0: character in Frank's shadow is someone with your initials, uh, Danny McKenna, also happens to be the exact same age as you were when uh, Frank Sinatra died. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Well,
2: part of it is the initials kind of are a coincidence. and I'll tell you why. This book was born on May 14th, 1998, which is the day Frank Sinatra died. As it turns out, I had a good friend of mine whose dad died the exact same day. Uh, And he was approximately the same age. And it it struck me that one death is satellite news ricocheting around the world and the other guys in the back of the paper by the mattress ads and the racing results. So it started out as sort of a reflection on the nature of celebrity. You know, a Tina Turner died, a Pee Wee Herman just died, and Mm -hmm. people were genuinely upset at the loss of this piece of their life. And it's weird how we can have these emotional ties to people we've never met. Uh, But if an artist is good at what they do, they move us. A comedian makes us laugh. A singer makes our feet tap. You know, uh, a painting speaks to us in some way, a poem, whatever it is. So as a result, they've touched us emotionally, and therefore, in a lot of ways, that's a bigger connection than you have with your cousin Carl, you know? Yeah, who's no, that... another but throw up at the Thanksgiving dinner table and ask you for 20 bucks. <laughs> so uh, the, a lot of the
0: premise is that uh, Danny McKenna is uh, sort of analyzing the death of Frank Sinatra back in 1998 and reflecting on his own father's passing.
2: Yeah, he realizes he knows everything about Frank Sinatra, including that he was a forceps baby, but he doesn't know know much of substance about his irish immigrant world war ii veteran father was a kind of secretive person and he he wants to go out and discover who his father was and in the process has to deal with his own demons before uncovering a deep dark family secret uh that puts him his life and his dad's life in a different context now that deep dark family secret held me up for 20 years because everything i came up with is either stolen or awful or Mm. both And then whatever, what always happens is eventually the light bulb went off and I knew how to end the book. So I I jumped back in. But the book, by the way, the name McKenna is stolen from a high school classmate of mine, Steve McKenna. He lived in Little Neck, Queens. And a lot of this book takes place in Little Neck, Queens. If you're from Queens, it's pretty much a love letter to Queens. But uh, he lived directly across the street from the Scobie Grill, which was a -a 24-hour-a-day, 365-day-a-year diner. And it always, I love that location because I thought if you grow up with a window into a 24 hour diner, that's a different view of life than if you live in a cul de sac (laughs) in suburbia, you know? So I stole the location as the McKenna family home. And then I thought, well, I might as well take the name too. Uh, so the DM kind of happened coincidentally, uh, as opposed to some kind of a subterfuge of really it's me.
0: You make the decision to write this book in the in the first person. It's told yeah. in uh, Danny McKenna's voice, and I, th- I think it's very effective in terms of because at times you almost have to remind yourself that it's fiction uh, because it almost reads like a memoir. Uh, did you did you know from the get go that you were going to write this in the first person, or did you go back and forth? Well, with I. How to Tell the story. I
2: definitely went back and forth, but I was trying to do it in the first person because I find it—it's—I find it more exciting for the reader. The reader and the character are discovering the things at the same time. Uh, Danny is not ahead of the audience. The audi- the, the reader—is experiencing it as he is. Now the problem—no, little did he know moments. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now the problem is—is is that there's a big flashback to the father's life in World War II. And he couldn't. He, that's what he's discovering. And I wrestled with how to do that. So I, w- while I was making a lot of bad pages. I was writing a lot of bad pages. I would lose track of whether it was present tense or past tense. But eventually, uh, with a good editor, Joan Tapper, I was able to wrestle that problem to the ground.
0: Uh, We're uh, talking with Doug McIntyre. His new novel is Frank's Shadow. It's available on Amazon, and you're actually going to have the opportunity to meet Doug both in New Jersey and on Long Island uh, this week. We're going to tell you about that and hear a little bit more about the book, especially on uh, on Long Island. You dedicate the book to several McKenna family members, including your own parents. Uh, Tell me about any similarities that might have existed between your father and Frank Sinatra.
2: Really, almost none. My father, uh, my father, uh, left zero digital footprint. If you Google Robert Norman McIntyre, the only thing that shows up is an obituary in Newsday and a column that I wrote in the Los Angeles Daily News. He he did not seek the spotlight and didn't get any uh, <laughs> he spotlight. He was successful. Uh, he, in that He regard. was exceptionally exceptional. He he just and I always thought. By the way, I think that people are able to live their lives. Without needing the attention of strangers, live happier lives overall uh, th- than those of us who are ham bones and have to elbow our way. Uh, to get love from total strangers. And sometimes at the expense of your actual loved ones, uh, you, you, you oh, meet yeah. those people. You don't people. have to tell me. I have some
0: questions for Penny about that. <laughs> uh, my wife has some questions, I should say, about that. Uh, do you remember, and one of the things that I loved uh, about the early part of the book is, is uh, I had forgotten, but immediately remembered when you wrote it, that um that Sinatra Sinatra's death took place right after or uh, the same week as the last episode of the same film. night and as it soo- was the same as, night as soon as you said that, or as soon as the the writer, uh, you know, Mr. McKenna said that in the book, I immediately remembered, oh, that's right. That's what we were talking about <laughs> until we were talking about that. Do you yeah. remember
2: where what you were doing when you learned of Sinatra's passing? I was at Logan Airport. Uh, just like the character uh, just like the character yeah i thought well why not you 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 know one of the things that i I, i've worked with a lot of famous people both from the radio business and just in the television racket and the distinguished speaker series program that amc lots and lots of famous people so i i'm intrigued by i've intrigued by the way that life kind of perverts and i don't mean that in the perverted sense but it just it, it it morphs Reality and not necessarily for the famous person, but for the people who meet them. People go crazy when they meet famous people on the street or something like that. They gotta have a selfie. They gotta have an autograph. They gotta have a, this experience. And and how it gets into the the culture. At one point, Paris Hilton had a boyfriend whose name was also Paris. Mm. Now right, I didn't right, I didn't right, I seek that. this information. I did not look up Paris Hilton and try to find out a list of boyfriends. It's just it was in the atmosphere. Right. It was at the you know on the tabloid at the checkout counter when I was going through the Grinsteadie's line, you know. I somewhere along the line I just like I can't wake up knowing how to play the piano or something I'd like to do, but I wake really? up knowing really? that <laughs> Paris Hilton had a boyfriend named Paris. And that's the kind of weird stuff that just happens when you get involved with celebrity. You start to absorb all this stuff and yet the people you live your life with can remain, especially I think parents. As a young dad, this is something that you will confront. We want to be, I, we want to be perfect for our kids, so we sanitize the uglier aspects of our own lives, and our kids put on. Penny and I used to talk about the a level of cleanliness when our parents would come to visit us. It's oh, mom right. clean That's right. was like <laughs> Defcon Five. Mm. That's the highest level of clean the house could be as your mother's coming over. And then there's like third cousin clean where you don't do anything. You just pick a pair of underwear off the living room floor. So, you know, we live phony lives in front of our parents too. And as you get older, hopefully your parents and you as an adult child can come together and have a meeting point where you overlap with truth. And I think that you have a... A deeper relationship, the quicker you can get there.
0: Is a quote in the uh, in the book, and uh, I, I uh, forgive me, I don't remember who said it. I, I didn't write it down, but you, uh, there's a quote which I think is very, very apropos, not only for what the character in the book, uh, Mr. McKenna, is going through, but for what a lot of us uh, realize, it's that uh, the the quote is something along the lines of the people that you – the two people you end up knowing the least
2: are your parents. It's from Alan Sherman. It is Alan Sherman. Hello, father. I read that. He wrote a novel, too, and he had a line in here. uh, In fact, I have it exactly. I'll read the quote exactly. Right in the beginning, because it struck me, of all the people you are ever going to meet, you will know your mother and father the least – And I thought, what a striking observation. Well, he had very strange parents. (laughs) So I heard. (laughs) He had really strange parents. But I think that there's a lot of truth in that because they said there's this kind of family theater that goes on where the parents are trying to – you know, model. To, to model for their children, and they don't. You know, when the kid you know comes home drunk and wrecked the car, they don't want to talk about the time that they came home drunk after right. wrecking sure. the car. Sure. <laughs> so I think we do we do that. I think that I, we I, do that I, as people. I think
0: that's certainly certainly true. Now, do, you guys got to actually see Sinatra in person, right? Not
2: me. You no, you didn't. I oh. saw him a bunch of times. I saw him. Uh, I saw him, including the opening chapter. as his last is a pretty journalistic recap of his last performance in New York at Radio City Hall, which I was at. Uh, and, and Which I, was a disaster, right? It, it, wasn't, it was until it wasn't. I mean, it was a disaster until it sort of was saved by this amazing – He does a great
1: job of that in the mm-hmm. book.
2: Yeah, okay. this amazing kind of audience ovation when they saw that he was struggling and something snapped in and all of a sudden – the years fell off him, and it was, as I say in the book, he was he was a ruin, but so was the Acropolis, and people still marvel at that, you know?
0: <laughs> Why do you think his music still endures today? I mean, songs that he recorded in 1939, 1940, 1974, they're still played and enjoyed in 2023, when that's a pretty rare thing for a lot of artists. Well, here's, here's my take on it.
2: I... Uh, there there was a – not so much the early stuff, but when he started to change arrangers in the 50s and he started to work with uh, Nelson Riddle and Billy May and those people, he upped the game for everybody. Uh, the, the, the level of musicianship that was acquired in the studio was – set the standard. And if you were a studio musician, you played for Sinatra, your ticket was punched. Then you worked for the rest of your life because if you're good enough for Frank, you're good enough for them. Uh, but I think that one of the thing, and I've thought a lot about this, is Frank Sinatra was a teen idol. He, That's what he was at the Paramount Theater here in New York. Uh, you know, it, girls were peeing in the aisles because they didn't want to get out of their wow. seats. So they wouldn't leave from the first show for the second show for the third show. And they literally had a riot on Columbus Day in 1944. It was everything that you see with crazy teenagers. Our grandparents were doing exactly that. But he was never singing for kids. He was singing adult emotions, even when he was a kid. And I think that what happens is people age into Frank Sinatra, which is why you started to see all the rock and rollers start to make these Sinatra records as Mm. they started to get older. And you're even... Penny and I saw Billie Eilish at the Hollywood Bowl in the spring, and she was singing Peggy Lee songs. Mm. So the curious... Lady Gaga got with Tony Bennett. The the serious artists are not genre-bound, and they start to discover the 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 literature of the great american songbook those songs that were written by the gershwins and johnny mercer and cole porter and people like that you know there's no cheated rhymes it's the real deal uh, one of the
0: one of the things that I mentioned and I think a lot of the listeners didn't know I'm sure you both know is that the the person who wrote uh, the uh, the the terrific song the banana boat song Deo uh, was uh, was actually Alan Arkin which uh, right. almost nobody knows I know and, and Patty, <laughs> you actually worked with uh, Peter Falk and Alan Arkin in the in-laws right we just lost Alan Arkin yes. unfortunately we spent a lot of time talking about his career and and his life sounds like a fascinating guy. I, I never got to meet uh, Alan Arkin. Never got to speak to him on the radio. What was he like to work with? And did you get to know him at all?
1: um You know, he he was just an absolute doll. And of course, you know, any actor working with someone like that is it's just a, it's just a thrill. And you're just watching and absorbing everything they're doing. And on to and he and Peter were just so brilliant together mm. in our in our movie. It was a great picture. Oh yeah. But aside from that, you know, I mean he was just just a fantastic guy. I mean, we used to sit, we had a whole sequence, we were in our pajamas and in between, you know, you do a lot of waiting around and movie making and we would sit outside waiting for them to set up with our guitars. You know, Alan had his guitar and I brought my guitar to work and we'd sit around in our pajamas playing songs. And it was just I, you know, that kind of thing, to spend that kind of time oh, with I, him. I can't imagine. Just amazing. And and we did keep in touch over the years. And, in fact, about uh, 12 years ago, no, 15 years ago maybe, uh, Alan came over to our house and he ran an all-day improvisation workshop uh, with uh, me and 10 of my actor kidding? friends. Wow. No. Spent the whole day at our house. and had a, an amazing, amazing day learning from this master. Was it
0: prior to or after his Academy Award?
1: That was Little before. Oh, that was that, before. That's as wild. Award. Yeah, and he and we kept in touch sporadically. Uh, and uh, the Kaminsky method of a friend of mine, a wonderful director, Donald Petrie, was directing a few episodes. And he said, "Oh, Penny, come. Why don't you come down and you can say hi to Alan." So I did that, and that was that was great. And then uh, recently, when I wrote my book, uh, because I knew he loved poetry and he's a writer himself. Uh, you know, I got in touch and I said, "Would you mind taking a look at my book and, you know, writing something for my jacket? Uh, if if you want, no pressure, no yeah. pressure." I mean, I was nervous about asking him, but I'm so happy I did because he just, he really enjoyed the book and he wrote a lovely thing for me and 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 you know, and now he's gone. And so, yeah, and he sad. he
2: wrote actually he wrote to you uh, to read at the TCM the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival when they screen The In-Laws. Just when was that in April? In,
1: in April, yeah. And he, you know, he was not. He was very cloistered at that point, and very. I think all since the pandemic, he was really not going out and seeing anyone. And and he was not going to come. But I, I said, would you like me to? Would you like to write something I can read to the audience? And he did.
0: By the way, uh, Penny's book uh, is uh, available in paperback uh, out in uh, February. Sonnets from Suburbia, more candles than cake. Now this is. I haven't looked at this one yet. Forgive me.
1: That's no. It's quite all right. You're um, not. A Alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book of poetry? Yes, it is a book of uh Elizabethan sonnets I, on modern day topics. Really? Give me an example. An example? Why dost thou tweet when thou couldst surely call to tell me I reside now in thy past? Thou bastard to have posted on my wall, mine enemies click like while I'm a guest. <laughs> my private parts you've publicly displayed? Imagine my chagrin to see my boob, a withered mountain, paused to be replayed, available for viewing on YouTube. For indiscretions thou alone hast done, be certain God's alive and karma will repay ye double. And won't it be fun to see ye choke on payback's bitter pill? Your foot are proof my choice in men's been spotty, to think I once considered you a hottie.
0: I, I think that that's phenomenal. That might be the best thing that we've ever
2: had on this radio <laughs> program.
0: It's certainly better than anything I ordered uh, for four hours. It was terrific.
2: Well, like, it's, my it's goodness, not here I sit broken hearted, I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs>
0: um, that again, people want to check that out and um, see, hear more, read more. They could check out Sonnets from Suburbia, More Candles than Cake. There's no audio version. Yes, there is pick- an oh, there is.
1: audio. Yes, there's an yes. audio book oh, on right. Amazon am as well.
0: Ordering one right now. That's exciting. <laughs> uh, but uh, Doug McIntyre here as well. His book. Book is Frank's Shadow. Um, Doug, you're doing an appearance, an appearance today, and again, it's confusing for some people whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow. on uh, On the fifteenth in New Jersey, right? right. Uh,
2: Tuesday, to make it clear, right. Tuesday at at six thirty. Penny and I will be doing a reading and signing at a lovely independent bookstore called the Bookhouse in Milburn, New Jersey. I think it's two eighty one Essex Street in Milburn, New Jersey. And we would love to see everybody come out if they want to. It should be a lot of fun. So that's tomorrow night, uh, technically tonight, but you know very <laughs> right. well how no, confusing this Believe is. Me, Once it crosses that midnight, no one knows that's what you're right. talking about. And then on Wednesday, we managed to con you into coming out to Carl Place, Long Island. I'm excited
0: about so this. Nice so nice of you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So uh, I am going to be hosting a, a Q&A uh, with Doug, we're going to be talking about Frank's Shadow. There's going to be a Carl Place uh, on, in Long Island at uh, six p.m. and it's a Barnes and Noble out there in Carl Place, ninety-one
2: right? Old Country Road in Carl Place, right next to Ben's Kosher Deli.
0: That's uh, very exciting. If people want to meet Doug, if they want to get the book signed, and uh, for the handful of you that care to meet me as well, you can do so. Are you it's kidding? going to be a lot of it's fun. going to be
1: Murano, no, We're counting on Murano you, Murano
0: groupies. The cult will be out. <laughs> Most of my groupies are over the age of 95. I'm not sure how many of them are making the trip to Doug's Carl Place. That's
2: yeah. right in my sweet spot. Are you kidding? Uh, it's, never, it's never the daughters. It's always the mothers. <laughs> in, my, in my case, it's the great-grandmothers. <laughs> uh, but I am looking forward to this. So that's going to be
0: uh, Carl Place, uh, Barnes & Noble, 6 to 8 p.m. on Wednesday evening. And uh, again, Tuesday in New Jersey. We'll repeat that for you again. Uh, talking with Doug McIntyre and Penny Pizer. You know, you guys actually uh, collaborated on Not a Book. But a, a terrific documentary about uh, Jack Sheldon trying to get good. Now, these days, I think a lot of people probably remember Jack Sheldon from uh, "I'm Just a Bill" sure. and that whole thing, "Schoolhouse Rock." Yeah. What made you guys uh, try to pursue, th- t- try to do that documentary and actually put on all this work in bringing it to fruition?
1: Yeah. Well, it took us it took us five years, and of course, Doug introduced me to Jack when we started dating. Very shortly, I guess, when Doug figured out I wasn't going to run, he started yeah. taking it's me Penny's to see Jack it out. Sheldon. the first
2: five years of our marriage, it was a lot of Jack Sheldon. He was like the third <laughs> wheel of our marriage. Yes,
1: yes. We finally, when the film opened five years after we started it, we told Jack, we need to see other people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, we were driving home from a gig of Jack's. Um, it was right, right after we got married. Yeah. And uh, we, he was just spectacular, particularly spectacular that night. And as we were, Driving home, uh, you know, we were kind of like, wow, you know, not enough people know about him. Someone ought to make a movie. And then it turned out those people were us. How
2: can people see it if they want to see a it's on, It's on Vimeo. Uh, you, can, you can download you it. You can on,
1: download it or rent it.
2: Yeah, on Vimeo. <laughs> right. It's called Trying to Get Good, The Jazz Odyssey of Jack Sheldon. And, you know, Jack, besides being one of the singularly great trumpet players hmm. in the history of jazz— he was wickedly funny. You know, he worked with Lenny Bruce for six years and we're still not sure who was filthier. <laughs> I mean, which one was the bad influence on the other. But he had this amazing – he had his own sitcom in the 60s called Run, Buddy, Run on, on CBS, which was done by the same people as Get Smart. Uh, so, And he was with Merv Griffin for many years. So he had this dual life where he had, it was wickedly funny. But I'll tell you a quick Jack story. I, he was coming into a club, and this is an example of the way his mind worked. He, he was coming into a club, and this woman saw him and said, you're Jack Shelton, aren't you? He goes, yeah. I goes, 25 years ago, you asked me out on a date. He says, so how about it? <laughs> uh, and he opened a, uh, a school assembly. He was doing a jazz demonstration at Eagle Rock High School. So it's all high school kids in the gym. And the first thing he says on the mic is, I love the student body. <laughs> So you can. <laughs> I know. You know this is you just didn't know what you were gonna bad, get. <laughs> bad to worse. Uh, it's probably best that he passed away before
0: the Me Too era, oh, right? God, oh my you God! Know, he would have gotten
2: the death penalty. D- yeah. Doug
0: McIntyre and Penny Pizer are here. If you want to check out that uh, Jack Sheldon documentary, it is called. Uh, we're going to take your questions, by the way, in a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. The documentary is called "Trying to Get Good: The Jazz Odyssey of Jack Sheldon." Straight ahead. <laughs> Is it's
1: really jumping. Come on, cats, check your hats. I mean this jumping.
2: To play that brilliantly and to have that comedic sense that he has.
1: This is a heck of a guy. man. Sure.
0: He understands the show business of it all. So when Bob Doro asked me to contribute to the schoolhouse rock thing, it's gotta be Sheldon. It's gotta be Jack Sheldon. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. You know, I think of
2: Jack as kind of a jazz mystic.
0: And the notes, he just pulls the notes to him. and. Swims right through them with ease. I've never seen such a a tragic life for a guy that walks onto
1: a stage and just buries the audience in laughter. And I loved cocaine. I loved to have cocaine. I got the best cocaine, too. Pharmaceutical cocaine, you take one sniff of it, and you see a flock of geese flying through the room. You never quite catch a One time at Caesars Palace, I called the room clerk and said, there's a flock of geese in my room. He says, you got any left? This guy
2: is one of the all-time characters and, join and a great jumping.
1: trumpet
0: player..
2: Oh yeah! The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Midnight with Frank Murano
1: Let's take it nice and easy. It's gonna be so easy for us to fall in love. What's your hurry, relax, and don't you worry,
0: we're gonna fall. The great Frank Sinatra, who is part of the story of Frank's Shadow by America's newest novelist, Doug <laughs> McIntyre, who joins me in studio with uh, Penny Pizer. And uh, this is a terrific song, which has clearly withstood the test of time, has it not?
2: Yeah, Nice and Easy, written by Alan and Marilyn Bergman. And as it turns out, this song has a particular special memory for Penny and I because I actually played it in the car on our first date. You're kidding, uh, wow. And Penny sang it, talk about worlds coming together, with the Jack Sheldon Orchestra at our wedding. She actually went and rehearsed with the band. Not, uh, without my knowledge, she just went down and, and, and secretly rehearsed with the 17-piece big band. And, uh, and we've gotten to know Alan Bergman, who's 97, is still... Still in the game, still working. Marilyn, unfortunately, died a few years ago. He wrote, you know, they won all those Oscars. They wrote all the the songs for Barbra Streisand. Uh, They won, like, six Academy Awards. Uh, But they wrote Nice and Easy for Sinatra in 1960. And uh, we've gotten to know Alan, uh, and he sings the song. Still, by the way, goes out and performs occasionally. Yeah, and And nightclubs. it's it's an amazing thing to see, this man with so much history. Go out and, and he said it's the only song that he and Marilyn ever wrote with the word baby in it. You are kidding? Yeah. Wow. Is that
1: right? Oh, I didn't I, know that. Yeah. I didn't. Wow. yeah.
2: He said it's a personality song, so they wrote it because Frank would say that. Uh, that I love
0: that. That's great. Oh, we're talking about uh, Frank's shadow. <laughs> I'm Going to be with Doug at uh, the Carl Place Barnes Noble on. Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Hopefully come out and say hello. And, uh, you know, you talked about the book Frank's Shadow being a love letter to Queens. Really, there's uh, I would say that greater New York in general yeah. plays a pretty big role in this. You you feature one of my favorite haunts to this day, McSorley's. Yeah. Now, I love McSorley's. If people are listening around the country and have never been to New York, whenever you're in town, it may or may not be America's oldest bar. You can only get beers two at a time. Do you get the light or the dark?
2: Well, I had the, now I get nothing yeah. because I had too many of all of them. But the thing is, uh, here's, here, I was there many, many moons ago. And, you know, they've got the famous uh, wishbone wire across the top, which were put there by soldiers going to World War I. And they've got, they've got uh, two inches of dust across the top of them. And I was in there one time and this young kid comes in and he slaps his mug down. And uh, when he slaps his mug down, he says, give me another one. It caused a vibration and some dust from the, from the wishbones fell into his beer. And the, and the kid said to the bar penter, this big Irishman, he says, Oh, I got some dirt in my beer. And the guy just looked at him and says, Drink it down, lad. It's a little bit of history. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's a, a verbatim quote from 40 years ago. A lot of people
0: are uh, eager to chat with you. We're going to get to as many people as we can here. Al is in Manhattan. Al, you're on with Doug McIntyre and Penny Pizer.
1: Hey, Frank, Doug, and Penny. Excellent
2: conversation. You're really doing like a raconteur uh, conversation there with Frank there.
1: Uh, sounds good, the book. Uh, let me ask you, uh, uh, he had mentioned something about the old Scoby Grill. Uh, did he ever go there?
2: A Sinatra? Uh,
1: no, you. Yourself. Oh, me.
2: I live there. I can pick up my mail. My friend Pat Hayes, uh, I went to college at Stonehill College of Massachusetts, and my friend Pat Hayes went to Queens College. We used to write letters to pat and address them care of the scoby grill and it hold the mail and give it to him when he came in (laughs) that's how frequently we were at the (laughs) scoby grill (laughs) jim
0: is in staten island hello jim
1: hi doug you know i had i went through serious withdrawals when you left red eye same here and and we never solved a riddle what's a good size for a deck oh
2: you're, you're the what's a good size for a deck guy now I, I can't. I no, can't. No, it, it, it wasn't me. There was about oh, calling, oh, four. Oh, who was, was that guy? Okay, so hang on. L- let's explain this, Frank. I don't. And Penny does looking at me like, "What does this mean?" <laughs> I have no idea what it means. There was a guy who used to call in, and he would just ask, "What's a good size for a deck?" Uh, And I said, you know, redwood or uh, composite. And uh, he would not answer any other questions. He just wanted an answer to that question. What's a good size for a deck? And to this day, it is one of those. It's like, what's the frequency, Kenneth? What the hell does that mean?
0: (laughs) Neil is in Manhattan. Hello, Neil. Yeah, hi, guys. I'm a big fan of all three of you. But I have to say, uh,
1: I'm
0: really the the anti-Doug McIntyre. But let me explain. While I have an Irish Catholic background, as does Doug, I grew up in Little Neck. Doug grew up in Great Neck. That's correct. He went to St. Mary's High School, a Marist Brothers High School. I went to Holy Cross ah. High School, a Holy Cross Brothers High School. Then I went to Marist College, a Marist, Co- Marist Brothers College. Doug went to Stonehill, a Holy Cross Brothers That's College. right. And wow. then Doug moved... Doug moved to California, went into show business. Wow! I stayed in New York and became an accountant. We, so you are the Bizarro <laughs> Doug. Is your wife named Dime? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm not I'm not married. But I
2: gotta say, you did a great job Absol- of piecing together the opposites. <laughs> no, That's down. fantastic. Like I feel like I've been torn inside out. That's very
0: impressive. 800 848 9222 We're playing Doug McIntyre. This is your life. Bruce is in Belize. Hello, Bruce. Hey Frank. How you doing, buddy? Good, Bruce. Only got about a minute here. What's on your mind?
2: I just get right to the point. Hey Doug, miss you on Red Eye. Thank you. And remember, I used to call up now and then. And I know you're a big Met fan. And uh, guess what we have? In- guess what? Yeah, you can't remember. Yeah, we we're we, both you, born you, at the same hospital, Glen Cove. Oh, Glen Cove Hospital. Yes, they they they're still talking about when I was born there. That's right, Bruce. Thank
0: you. If that was him getting right to the point, I'd hate to see if he were to dilly dally. <laughs> um, Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al.
2: Yeah, hi Penny. Uh Penny, I just wanted to ask you. It must have been a great experience working with uh superstars in the uh, the uh classic film All the President's Men. Yes. Uh Robert Redford, Redford, uh Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. and Hal Holbrook.
1: Right. Well, I I did not work with Hal Holbrook. I can only say I was in the same film with him, but I had no scenes with okay. him. I we- met him decades later. Yeah,
2: when he was in his 90s, I yeah, think, doing uh-huh. the uh, – just re- not too long before yeah, he died. that's yeah. right. You know, that's one of the things that happens. Uh, uh, Is that you, that know, you die. It, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, Like sadly. I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, but people assume because – if actors are in the same movie, that they've all had some kind of interpersonal relationship and it's entirely possible to work in movies and never see anybody yeah, uh, else.
0: Shatner and Ricardo Montalban uh, didn't uh, didn't meet on Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Not, right. went, they went never once. met once. That's right. right. Yeah. Oh
2: wow. Um, Penny
0: Pizer and Doug McIntyre. I uh, wish we had more time. This is uh, always such a treat. Whenever you're in town, please come visit. I hope everybody comes uh, and sees us out on uh, Long Island tomorrow Wednesday night. Carl Place six to eight. Wherever you happen to be anywhere in the country, check out Frank's Shadow. It's a terrific novel, a great beach
2: read. Thank you both. And uh, sound of Some Suburbia at Amazon for Penny. And we're in Milburn, New Jersey, Tuesday night, tomorrow night uh, from uh, 6.30 to 8.
0: Doug McIntyre and Penny Pizer, thank you both very thank
1: much.
0: Thank you. Keep asking questions.